Uh, Exodus chapter 31 tonight is our text, verses 12 through 17. As is our custom, when I finish reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord. If you can respond with thanks be to God. So let's hear God's word now. And the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath, because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord." Whoever does any work on the Sabbath shall be put to death. Therefore the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you now. Lord, desperately needing to hear from you. Father, needing to hear your truth, needing it to impact us uh, in ways beyond which we can even comprehend. Lord, we ask that you would forgive us for so often trading your pearls for what is no treasure at all. Lord, for not worshiping you, but instead worshiping and serving the creature. And so, Lord, for that, we ask your forgiveness and your mercy. We ask for faith, Lord to help us see you high and lifted up, to see you in all your beauty and glory and majesty, and to give the praise and honor uh, that is due to your name. And so, our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come to you now and ask that you would speak to each and every one of us, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to ask you a question. What is the first thing you think of when you wake up each day? What is the very first thing you think of when you wake up each day? In many ways, something that's beyond your control. If you were asking me that question, I'd I'd probably respond with, well, it depends which day you're talking about. (laughs) Mondays, tomorrow, right? I'm a school teacher, so there's lots of things going on on a Monday at school, right? And you've got a long week ahead of you, just like many of you probably have a long week if you're students or you work regular jobs, let's call regular just Monday through Friday. So there might be a lot on your mind for Monday. Tuesday, there might be different things on your mind. Wednesday, there might be other things on your mind. I, I teach, uh, and Wednesday mornings, we start off with assembly or chapel, and so I might have some organization and some work to do there. I might have that on my mind. Wednesday nights, our community group meets. I might have that on my mind. Uh, Alicia teaches on Wednesday. I probably have that on my mind, right? This day is a little more challenging. Uh, Gene McMillan's come over to watch Bethany. I might have that. There's all kinds of things I could have on my mind. Thursday might have different things on my mind. Friday, right, could be other things, right? Could be that old TGIF prayer. Thank goodness it's the end of the week. Uh, Could be many different things. Could be looking forward to a session meeting that night. Or, you know, a deacon's meeting on Tuesday. There's lots of things given the day of the week that might be on your mind And it's different for every one of us. Our text today, I believe, challenges the way we think about today, Sunday, the Lord's Day. And I think it forces us to ask a few very big questions. I think it forces us to ask first the question, what is the Sabbath? 
Secondly, I think it causes us to ask the question, what is sanctification? Uh, and, and thirdly, I think it causes us to ask, how are those two concepts related? Right? How do they fit together in God's word and in his world? Uh, and then I think this text also uh, causes us to look inward. Uh, and I think God asks us some questions as we study uh, this text today. So I'll kind of take those questions in turn, first starting with what is the Sabbath? Uh, and I'm going to do here a, a mini biblical theology. Now on the back of your handout, uh, you have, uh, the, the front of your handout, you have just a, a brief sermon outline. On the back you have a lot of scriptures. They're pretty small. I hope you can read those. I hope the light in here is good enough, but I want to go through some of these scriptures. If you have a Bible, you're welcome to turn there. But the first thing I want to do is look at what is the Sabbath. So you can be turning in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2 or looking on the back of your handout. What is the Sabbath? Well, we, most of us probably get Genesis chapter 1, right? In six days, God created everything right? by the word of his power from nothing, all very good. Right? Uh, and then... Genesis chapter 2, we see that in the seventh day God rests. And we read uh, these words. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. We see here a pattern being established in the first couple chapters of Genesis, a pattern of work and rest, six days and one day. Now, God rested on the seventh day. He wasn't tired. He didn't do this for himself. He rested to give us a pattern, and we are made in his image. So if we are to imitate God in this way, this pattern he has established, and I think most of us can acknowledge that we need rest, have you ever stayed up all night long? How did you feel the next day? Have you ever worked too many days in a row and you just really needed a day off? You felt that dire need for rest. So God establishes this pattern. We're made in His image. But He also says that this day is holy. It is set apart. So we see before even the fall in Genesis chapter 3, this idea of work and rest. This idea of Sabbath that... Uh, is for us a pattern to follow. And it's a holy day. As we move forward in the scriptures a little bit into the book of Exodus, in chapter 16, we read this On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over lay aside to be kept till morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them. And it did not stink and there were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. 
Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Here in this account in Exodus chapter 16, we see a few things. First, we see that this Sabbath is given to man. It's a gift from God, this day of rest. We see this idea of rest in this And we also note that this occurs before the giving of the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. So already uh, there is an expectation based off this pattern, based off this image, based off this day being holy that people will observe it. We also note another thing. They're already struggling to observe it, as many of us perhaps do. We move on to Exodus chapter 20, and now we will see uh, our fourth commandment uh, as we know them. Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11 reads this way. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. We see here in this first formal giving of this commandment that it is written into God's moral law forever. God's moral law is enduring. And we see that it is also this idea of Sabbath rest or observance. It is grounded in creation, in the pattern that God establishes at creation. And we see here the reiteration that this is a holy day. This is a set-apart day. Now, 40-some-odd years later, these commandments will be given again to the people of Israel as the next generation is about to enter into the Promised Land and God will expound upon His commandments uh, and apply them to the land which they are about to enter. Uh, And so we see uh, the fourth commandment given again in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 12 through 15. It reads this way, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock, Or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. We see again this reiteration of rest and the significance of rest in our lives. Uh, In addition to the Sabbath now being grounded in creation, we see God grounding this Sabbath in redemption. He had brought His people out of Israel with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. They were slaves and now they have been set free from that slavery. They had not experienced rest and now they are experiencing God's rest as they enter into the promised land. So it's grounded both in creation and in redemption. Now, With all this instruction, it's natural to ask the question, well, how do God's people do at observing this Sabbath in the Old Testament? Well, the picture's not so good. 
that's where the prophets come in, often decrying a lack of care and concern for God's day of rest and worship. Our call to worship uh, included uh, Isaiah chapter 56 today, in which you see not only some of that, but also great promises for those who will keep the Sabbath, right? who will call this day a delight. And Isaiah 58, which uh, Matt read uh, in our scriptures between our first two songs, uh, it reads this way, If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, And the holy day of the Lord honorable. If you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is just a representative text of the kind of things we see from the prophets with regard to the Sabbath. We see Israel's failure. We see the prophets calling them back calling them back to the Sabbath, which is for their rest, for their good, grounded in creation and redemption. And so in Isaiah 58 there, uh, we see that it's not a day for pleasure, it's a day to delight in the Lord our God. Now as we turn to the New Testament, uh, of course we see no small controversy with regard to the Sabbath. It appears quite a list of do's and don'ts have developed over time on the Sabbath. You can do this, you can't do that. You can do this, you can't do that. You can only walk two and a half miles unless uh, you own property. So we'll take a toothbrush, we'll stick it under a rock two miles from our house so we can stop there, say, hey, I own that piece of property, and then we can keep going. It became very litigious. Uh, People uh, were very keen on Sabbath observance. Uh, You might say... Uh, keeping uh, the letter of the law, but not the spirit of the law. So when Christ comes and he begins to teach and he begins to do certain things, again, there is no small controversy. One example of that would be uh, Luke chapter 6, which was the reflection at the beginning, or Mark chapter 2. It recalls the same account. Listen to these words in Mark chapter 2. One Sabbath, he, that is Christ, was going through the grain fields, And as they, that is the disciples, made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. We see here that the Sabbath is a gift to man again. And we're not made to keep a set of rules or lists or do's and don'ts on this day. This day is for our good and for the glory of God. We also see that Jesus is Lord of this day. He's Lord of all the days. He's Lord of everything. But He is in particular Lord of this day. So as He engages in this controversy with the Pharisees, He's saying, of course David can enter God's house and eat God's bread. That's the whole purpose of this day. To be with God and to feast upon Him. 
And Jesus' disciples are really, if you think about it, doing the exact same thing. They're walking with God on this day, eating the bread that God has provided, enjoying His company and fellowship with Him in His house, being His entire creation. So really, they're doing nothing different, although many people had quite a problem with this. As we look at the New Testament, in my reading, and in my humble opinion, Christ uh, nowhere breaks the Sabbath in the New Testament. Of course He doesn't. He's sinless. I would also say that Christ nowhere abrogates the Sabbath in the New Testament. After Christ's resurrection, as we move on, we see the good news coming to Jews on the Sabbath. Right? This day of rest and worship. If we turn over to Acts chapter 13, we see Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey, and they're in Pisidian Antioch. And they'll have, uh, th- this is the account of what they're doing. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the Word of God. We see people in the house of God, listening to the Word of God, eager to hear the Word of God on the Sabbath. Now mind you, this is still the seventh day of the week. And not exactly our Saturday. This would have been Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. But God's people in His house, hearing the Gospel And that beginning to transform them. It beginning to work in their hearts of stone and give them hearts of flesh. In time, as this gospel of Jesus Christ begins to take root, not only in those synagogues, but among the Gentiles, we will read this in Acts chapter 20, verse 7. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them. Intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. Now, the first thing I'll say about that text, it is a narrative. And narratives are not normative. What that means is we're not necessarily meant to do everything in there. If we were, I'd have to keep you here till midnight. Anybody? And they probably started a lot earlier than we did. So we don't really, you know, it's not normative here what's necessarily happening. But these narratives are very instructive for us. And what I find instructive about this narrative is that they are now meeting on the first day of the week to break bread. A clear reference uh, to the Lord's Supper, to this meal that we will partake of in just a few minutes tonight. So the people of God are now beginning to meet on the first day of the week. Spending the day listening to God's word, talking about the things of God, enjoying the things of God, building one another up, breaking bread, having fellowship together, sharing all things, right? The picture we see in the book of Acts is beginning to come to fruition. And by the time we'll reach the end of the New Testament, uh, we are at the book of Revelation. And we'll read these words in Revelation chapter 1, verses 10 through 11. I'll just read chapter 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. 
And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. Here we see the Apostle John in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. This first day of the week is now being called the Lord's Day or the Christian Sabbath. I wanted to walk through that with you first so we can answer the question, what is the Sabbath? And I didn't just want to come right out and say this is what Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 21, verse 7 says. But I will read it for us now. Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 21, verse 7 has this to say about the Sabbath. As it is the law of nature that in general... A due proportion of time be set apart for the worship of God. So in his word, by a positive, moral, and perpetual commandment binding all men in all ages, he has particularly appointed one day in seven for a Sabbath to be kept holy unto him, which from the beginning of the world to the resurrection of Christ was the last day of the week. And from the resurrection of Christ was changed into the first day of the week which in Scripture is called, is called the Lord's Day and is to be continued to the end of the world as the Christian Sabbath. Perhaps not the most commonly held understanding of the Lord's Day in Christianity today. In broad evangelical circles in America, that may not be uh, a common teaching. But I think it's the clear teaching of Scripture, so I'm trying to walk us through that and let you see it for yourself. But... We need to hold that thought. We need to pause. We need to ask our second question. So first question, what is the Sabbath? Hopefully we have a better understanding of what that is now. It's a day of rest. It's a day of worship. It's grounded in creation. It's grounded in redemption. It's for our good. It's given to us for a wonderful purpose. Our next question is, what is sanctification? And at the risk of some disjointedness here, we are going to change gears. We're going to briefly, much more briefly than we just did, talk about this idea of sanctification. Strictly speaking, if you search the Bible for this word in English, you'll find only six references. Two in the book of Romans. Uh, we read those today in our call to confession and our assurance of pardon. One in 1 Corinthians. Uh, one in each of the Thessalonians, uh, books of the Thessalonica. And one in 1 Peter. One of those references in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, says, This is the will of God, your sanctification. Uh, if, uh, if you're a Christian, for any amount of time, and you haven't asked yet what the will of God is for your life, <laughs> then you're a better man than me. Here's a very clear example. What is the will of God? We want to know about it with our jobs, with our marriages, with our homes, with all those things. But one thing that's very clear in Scripture, what is the will of God, your sanctification? But if we don't understand that is, what that is, that doesn't help us all too much. So only six times in Scripture do we see this. We could look up the word sanctify. It'll appear about another 10, 12 times or so. It'll appear in our text today, Exodus chapter 31, in verse 13. And we will get back there eventually, I do promise you. We could look up the word sanctifies, and we'll find it about another 10 times or so. Right, so when you start to look at all those, you, you start to get an idea of the picture, but one of the reasons you don't necessarily uh, see these words so much is there are other words or concepts that are used to translate the Hebrew and the Greek words. There are really two big ideas at play in this uh, uh, when we're talking about the concept of sanctification. The first of those is a setting apart. 
a setting apart. And so, you know, this word sanctification might be a little strange to you, or sanctifies, or sanctify, but if you reflect on the Old Testament, you think about the concept of things being set apart, a whole lot probably comes to mind. In the end of the book of Exodus, right after our text, a whole bunch of things are set apart to be used for the tabernacle. The entire building itself, everything that goes inside it, all the utensils that were served, all the, uh, everything involved in the sacrificial system outside it, all that is set apart for a special use. The sacrifices that would be offered are set apart for a special use. So many things in both the Old and the New Testament are set apart. We find that language quite often much more than we see uh, the actual word sanctify in English. Uh, The idea is something being set apart from a common use to a sacred use. That is for the worship of God. We might describe this uh, setting aside as a change in position, from common to sacred. Hence, theologians would call that positional sanctification. So our first thing we see is things being set apart or set aside for a holy purpose. The second aspect of sanctification, the second main thrust that we see is that of something being made holy. A changing of the object itself over time. Not just positional, like it was used for this and now I'm going to use it for this. No, progressive. Right? So theologians would call this progressive sanctification. Something becoming something else gradually over time. It is a, a process. And that's something becoming holy. So we see both aspects at play. Both a setting apart as holy or for holy purposes as well as an actual being made holy over time in this concept of sanctification. Our Westminster Shorter Catechism, now that we've kind of explored the ideas, uh, describes it this way. The Catechism leans uh, more heavily on the making holy holy side, uh, but it'll say this, uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism 35. It asks the question, what is sanctification? And it goes on to say, sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man, after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. So we have an idea of what the Sabbath is, I think, from Scripture. We have a good idea of what sanctification is. Now we need to ask, how does God's Sabbath connect to sanctification? In particular, your sanctification. Our text today will twice call the Sabbath a sign. We'll see that in verse 13 and verse 17. And signs in Scripture point to things. Does anyone remember what the sign of the covenant with Noah was? It was a rainbow. right? And that sign pointed to something. What did that sign signify? Well, it signified that God would never again wipe every living creature off of the earth. So at the end of a long, heavy rain, you know, the kind we get in Pittsburgh for a few days when you feel like it's not going to stop and you haven't seen the sun since you don't know when, uh, and then it finally stops and the weather breaks and the rainbow comes out. It's a reminder, right? It's a sign that points to a reality. Well, the Sabbath is very similar here in this passage. There are two signs, and well, we should ask to what do they point? 
In verse 17, uh, we read this, It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. So in verse 17, we see that this points to creation. Uh, It creates this pattern of work and rest, which I think we've already spent enough time on. But verse 13 points to something else. Uh, Verse 13 reads uh, like this. You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbath, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. See, God is revealing something about himself here. And he often does this through his names. God's names reveal his nature and his character. Think of El Shaddai. What does El Shaddai mean? Well, it means God Almighty. And God gave it in Genesis 17. He gave that name to Abraham because Abraham's saying, well, geez, I'm, I'm as old as dirt and my wife is only slightly less older than dirt. We are not going to be able to have children. But he says, I am God Almighty. This is no problem for me. I can do this. Let's take another name. Uh, Jehovah Jireh, Genesis chapter 22. It means the Lord will provide. What's the context? Well, Abraham is taking Isaac, his only son, the son of the promise, to the mountain uh, to be sacrificed. And it is on that mount that God reveals that he will provide the lamb. He will provide the ram in Isaac's place. God will provide Jehovah Jireh. But here we see Jehovah Mekadeshchem. Jehovah Mekadeshchem. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. And this is the only occurrence I can find of this in the Bible. And the immediate context is the Sabbath. You see, the Sabbath is a sign that the Lord both sets us apart and makes us holy. He does both. And this is the same Lord who sets apart a day, the Sabbath, for rest and worship. A day to grow in holiness. So there's a day set apart for that purpose, and there's a people set apart for that purpose. Do you know where I'm going with this? Have you figured it out yet? You see, up to this point, we've been asking lots of questions of our text and the Bible in general. Now it's time for God to ask us some questions. We have two questions I'd like us to wrestle with. First, as those who have been set apart by God, my first question for you is, how are you progressing in your sanctification? Are you making as much progress as you would like? What are the chief obstacles in your way. Are you very busy? Well, yes, of course you are because you're, you live in 21st century America and we're all very busy. We're very good at that. So you're very busy. You have lots of responsibilities, responsibilities at home, responsibilities potentially at work, responsibilities potentially at school. If you're a student, you have responsibilities everywhere. You have diapers to change. You have mouths to feed. You have bills to pay. You have work to do. You have papers to write. You might have papers to grade. You have things to do. You have a long list of things to do. Many of these are good things, but the list could go on and on. 
And the things that we're called to do every day by God, many of which are good things, often make it difficult to spend as much time as we would like, say, in prayer on an average day. Think about your week Monday through Saturday. Can you spend as much time in prayer as you would like to? Do you get enough time to spend reading God's Word? Meditating on it. Memorizing it. Resting in it. Family, school, work, all these good things. And God does use those in our sanctification. Make no mistake. But they also can all get in the way of our sanctification at times. If we let them become idols. And they could at a very minimum keep us from putting forth a significant amount of intentional effort into it. Just because we have these real pressing Responsibility. So if you're like me and you're not doing as well as you'd like in your sanctification, I have another question for you. My second question for you would be, how are you using this day towards your sanctification? How are you using this day to grow in grace? If you're not progressing the way you'd like to, perhaps today, the Lord's day, is the best place to start. Sure, you can carve out some more time on other days, and I suggest you do. You know, if your devotional life just really is non-existent Monday through Saturday, I really would encourage you to do that. But what about this day? If you're not getting enough quality time in God's work in God's word during the week, if you're not getting enough time in prayer, enough time with fellowship around other saints who encourage you, The Lord has given you an entire day for that. He's given you an entire day for that very purpose. There are many things that we just can't get to Monday through Saturday. And so it's wonderful to have that day. There are also many things uh, that we, and we are a, a Presbyterian church, we do like things fairly decent and in order. If you haven't been around us long, hopefully we won't annoy you too much with that. Uh, there are certain things that we would view as not proper on other days. There are certain things we, we just don't do on other days. Certain things that are only properly experienced on the Lord's Day. I'm talking here uh, primarily about the means of grace, which are your primary means of growth in the Christian life. You can listen to sermons lots of time due to local technology, anytime you want. But you can really, for the most part, only hear them in person on the Lord's Day. You, you can pray uh, on your own as much as you want all week long. You can really only pray with the saints and bear one another's burdens together on the Lord's Day. And the sacraments, baptism, the Lord's Supper... We strongly feel are reserved for this day because they're meant to be observed together by God's people together. So we don't have enough time to do lots of things other days of the week. Some things just really aren't proper other days of the week, yet we have this day. This day to be able to use. So I'll ask you, what fills your average Sunday? If you're like many people, uh, myself included, you often feel it with less, you fill it with less than the best things. You might fill it with your news feed. You might fill it with social media. You might fill it with worldly cares and concerns. You might fill it with the political upheaval going on all around us. And please let me just encourage you, 
That can wait. It will be here tomorrow. It's not going anywhere anytime soon, and we all need to rest from it. So oftentimes we fill it with less than the best things. Sometimes we fill it with some pretty good things. We might fill it with time around family and friends. Sometimes we do fill it with the very best things. Word, God's word, worship, fellowship, prayer, communion with Him, visiting the saints, visiting the sick. We have a day for that. You know, yesterday at Presbytery, a good friend of mine, Phil, was examined. Uh, Phil and I have known each other for about seven years. Um, uh, He's a very good friend of mine. It was a very long and a very emotional day. And after preaching, which happened last, which was quite emotional in and of itself, and all the exams, Phil's exams were sustained. So we will have a new pastor in this presbytery uh, on November 11th. Praise the Lord. But as we were out in the hallway afterwards, and people were congratulating Phil, uh, as was very fitting, uh, and there's still other business going on in Presbytery, mind you, uh, his, his, his pastor, Pastor Don Waltemeyer, suggested something that was so surprising to me, yet so appropriate. Do you want to know what he suggested to Phil? Now, Phil had started this process in about 2011. It took him seven years. He had to do some things multiple times. It was difficult. It was long. It was arduous. Uh, he's, he's darn near has set a presbytery record for this. He even beat me as long as I took. He said, let's take a walk. Let's go outside and take a walk. See, the work was done. And so he said, come, let's enjoy this time together. Work's still going on in the presbytery, but let's go outside. Let's enjoy this time. Let's rest from our labors. Phil was invited by one of his spiritual fathers, so to speak, to just come away and to rest. Because he could. And sometimes I think that's the part we get least, or we just fail to believe. We really can rest. You can rest from your labors. It's okay. You are God's. He has you. You can rest. Until we get this, I think it's hard to call the Sabbath a delight. But once we get it, I think it's hard not to. See, the Sabbath is a day our good Father gives us. A day for our good. It's a good gift. It's a much needed gift. God invites us to come away with Him. To be loved. To be nourished. To be refreshed. To receive what we need most. Rest and worship. Communion with Him. He set this day aside for this purpose. Will you set it aside for that purpose? Will you wake up on the Lord's Day and think, Today, I'm going to take a walk with my Heavenly Father. Today, I'm going to spend time with Him so that I can grow in His grace. If you will, I can promise you, you will grow in grace. And you will not only grow in grace, but you will know that it is the Lord who sanctifies you. Let's pray.